Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Susie mentioned the needs we have for uh, workers, and I uh, just want to appreciate everybody that puts time into our, our children's ministry. Um, they don't just show up and uh, see what happens. They plan, they uh, prepare, they pray. One of our cubby leaders has told this last Sunday, uh, every, every week goes down and, and walks by the, the different places where they hang up their stuff and prays for each one of them before uh, cubbies begin. And so I want to encourage you, if the Lord's speaking to your heart, to respond to what we asked this morning, that would be great. Season of thanks. And I was thinking about this as we begin this series uh, for the month of November. And where do you start? I appreciate, Gary, you're reminding us this morning of the, uh, we appreciate you reminding us that today is the day that's been set aside to remember the persecuted Christians. And that maybe that surprised you when you hear there are more persecuted Christians today than ever in history. And that's true. And, of course, that's because the population of Christianity has grown as well. And so that was a good reminder this morning uh, that, that we are to pray uh, for our persecuted brothers and sisters. And it's also a reminder that we are to give thanks for God's, uh, for the freedom we have in our country. We know it's uh, moving toward a presidential election. And we have local elections coming up. And there's uh, lots of discussion and a lot of interest. Um, and, but, you know, when all is said and done, uh, we need to stop and give God thanks that we are free to come and worship as we please, to come and share the gospel, to propagate the gospel, to uh, pray together and worship together, and uh, we never want to take that for granted. So it was a good reminder this morning. Where do we start? What are you thankful for? As I think of all the things that the children uh, mentioned this morning and the things that you mentioned, uh, things we're thankful for. So I want to start with, to me, what um, is just a good beginning place. And uh, each week we'll talk about a different topic. But, you know, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, let me just read this to you. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is the story of, uh, it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. All these Old Testament characters that are noted for their great faith and the example that they set. And one particular that's kind of, I want to reflect on this morning. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, and he gave instructions about his bones. He gave instructions about his bones. I want you to go back to Genesis, in chapter 50, first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. When we go back to the book of Genesis, I'm glad you're here today. I know it's kind of a different Sunday when uh, any times the time change like this, Right? You're all off a little bit. It's actually, you know, time to go home about 1230 right now and have lunch and so on. Um, how many of you have, you know, when you don't have children at home, it's not quite as, um, it's not quite as different. But how many of your children got up at the same time today? Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. So you thought you were going to get extra hours of sleep and it didn't work, did it? <laughs> so, but I'm glad you're here today. You've come to worship with us. And Genesis chapter 50, as we come to the end of the, the book of Genesis, and we have the story of the death of Joseph. His father, uh, Jacob, uh, Israel, has died, and he has been uh, buried back in the Promised Land. And sometime later, almost 50 years later, we come to the end of the story. Joseph is 110 years old, 
And Joseph, who had literally, by God's power, saved Egypt and the surrounding nations from the famine as they prepared for it, Uh, Joseph, who had been sold into slavery by his brothers, been so mistreated, and uh, now he is... Uh, he has come to the end of his life. He has, he has ruled faithfully for God. And he, and he comes and he says here in, it says in verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, 110 years old. I am about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the first time. It's the first time in the Old Testament you have this triad of these names together, which we see so often from here on out: Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the three of the patriarchs. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and said, "God will surely come to your aid, and you must carry my bones up from this place." So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after, they embalmed him, and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. God will surely come and visit you. He was embalmed, and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on Genesis, the three-volume set, it's a great commentary set, uh, has a section on this and, and noted this, the importance of this last phrase. When you think about the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, which is the, the Greek for in the beginning, the Hebrew is Bereshith, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the first chapter of Genesis, we have the story of God creating the heavens and the earth, and the culmination of that creation is life, is life, and the life of Adam. And he created man, and he created Eve, and he, and he breathed into them the breath of life, and they became living souls. And the story in Genesis chapter 1 is a story of the creation of life, that God is a giver of life. And James Montgomery Boyce uh, noted in his commentary the importance when you come to the end of Genesis, you think of these bookends. Chapter 1, God saw everything that he did and it was good. And in chapter 2, he rested. Chapter 1 is a creation of life. And in chapter 15, the very last phrase in this important beginning book of the Bible, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. He died, and he was placed in a coffin. And that, as it, this is the only time we have the idea of people being placed in coffins in Jacob and Joseph. And the story of Genesis comes to an end. He was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And we see that in the, in the story of creation, of course, as we move through the early part of Genesis, we see how death enters into human experience. They are told the day that you uh, eat of this, you will surely die. And they ate of the fruit. They disobeyed God. Sin was introduced. And they died. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. And they died spiritually. And eventually they died as well. And the story in Genesis ends with the story of a coffin in Egypt. As I thought about, um, as I thought about the, what I'm thankful for. What's the most important thing? There are so many things to be thankful for. I have so many things. I, I often, I, I, watch, I wonder, 
And I asked myself, why has God been so good to me? Why has God blessed me? Why has God blessed your family? Why has God taken, even with the difficulties and challenges, why has God chosen to love us and to bless us and to be so good to us? We have such a wonderful God. Amen? Aren't you glad you can call him your father? You know, that, that great uh, song that the, the choir sang today um, from the Psalms, and, and that God is, God is our father. He cares for us as a shepherd. He protects us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He's with us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And in spite of our humanity and our weaknesses and our sins and our, uh, all that we know about ourselves, God loves us today as much as he is ever going to love us. Not because of what we do, but because he has chosen to love us. And so I thought, what am I most thankful for? Where do we start? And I want to start this morning giving thanks for, I think, sort of the sine qua non, uh, the most important thing. I'd like to ask you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now for you, you know, there might be different things that come to your mind first. But for me, as I thought about this story in Genesis of God giving life and the story ending with this emphasis that, that Joseph died, a man of tremendous faith, a man who said, God will surely visit you. You know, there's really no word in the Hebrew for surely. What it says is basically in, in aiding you, God will aid you. By using the word twice, it's a strong emphasis. And that's how we get the English word from that. So how do you say that? Well, we say, yes, surely, yes, exactly, certainly, God will do this. And so we have this man of tremendous faith who is in the Hebrews Hall of Fame because of his, his faith that God will do what he said he will do. God had promised to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 15. God said, your people will be taken to a land and they will be strangers there and they will be kept there for 400 years. And somehow this message has been translated from generation to generation as, as Abraham, his great-great-grand, his great-grandfather, this message was brought down to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph, a reminder that you are going to be there for 400 years. And, and Joseph sees this playing out in his own life, the Jewish uh, publication society a commentary on the Torah on the book of Genesis uh, at the very end of it makes this note that you'll notice that when Jacob is buried there's this huge funeral procession when Joseph dies it just says he was buried in a coffin and placed in a coffin in Egypt and the Jewish publication society Torah uh, suggests that already the ominous clouds of, of persecution are beginning to hang over these people and Joseph senses this and understands this that there is going to be persecution, that, they, that things are changing. And, and then we find for 400 years exactly what Abraham said, was told comes to pass. They are enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. But this man of faith, he dies. He dies. And he's placed in a coffin. Death is part of the fall. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and this is why I've chosen to start with this. With all the wonderful things God has given us, all the wonderful things God has blessed us with, all the wonderful things in this world, the creation and the beauty and the friendship, the creativity He's put in the hearts of men and women to be able to create, to be able to, to, to show the image of God even in our fallen state, all the beauty and all the good things around us. Yet Paul says this, in this, in this chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12, But if it is preached 
But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And, your, and so is your faith. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men, than all people. And you know, this is at the heart of our Christian faith. We, we gather on the first day of the week, on Sunday, because this is the day that Christ rose from the dead. The early church, they could have chosen to gather on Friday, the day he was crucified. They could have chosen to gather on the, on the Sabbath, the historic Sabbath, the seventh day of rest. But they chose to begin to gather and worship and celebrate each week, the first day of the week, as we do today. This is the first day of the week. This is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday, not just Easter. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Because the resurrection is so critical and so essential to everything else that, that we say about the Christian faith. Some say, well, even if it wasn't true, uh, living a Christian life is still a good way to live. Well, I understand that. But what does Paul say here? Paul says here that if there is no resurrection from the dead, if only in this life we have hope in, in our Christian faith, what does Paul say? We are of all people the most foolish we are to be pitied more than anybody because we are teaching and preaching a very serious lie if there is no resurrection from the dead. Genesis 50, Joseph was placed in a coffin in Egypt. He died. Death is part of our human condition. We all realize that. As pastor, um, that's a very important part of my life in ministry, is ministering to you and to others and, and my own family when our loved ones have died. When we contemplate and think about it, one of the wonderful things about being part of a church family of different ages is that, is that we are reminded of these different stages of life and we share and celebrate those together. But when it comes to the resurrection, friends, this I wanted to start here today because when all is said and done, God's provision for me, my family, my health, my friends, my church, my freedom in this country, the ability to read God's word, to pray to God, the Holy Spirit, all the wonderful things that God has given us. It all comes back to this. Verse 20. After Paul has said that if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, we will not be raised. And if we will not be raised, if this is all we have, what we see, hear, touch, think, smell, handle right here, right now, if this is all there is to life and there is no eternity, then Paul says we are to be pitied more than anybody. But in typical Pauline fashion, as he does so often in his epistles, you look at verse 20. But, indeed, certainly, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen? 
Christ has indeed, and I love the way Paul says, but, if you're thinking this, stop, but, indeed, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruit, when, you get, when the first fruit comes in, in, your, in your crop, whatever you raise, if you were a farmer, if you're an agricultural community like in the, in the Bible, the first fruits are an indication of the blessing God has given and what is to come. They come early. They come maybe before the rest, before you really get a harvest. But they are there to indicate what is to come. And, and Jesus Christ has become the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep, and all of us who will, if the Lord does not come before that time, will fall asleep. He is the first fruits. The first fruits, you know, the Apostle John, the old Apostle John, Jeremy shared this last week from the Gospel of John, remind us that he was, he was the oldest apostle, as far as we know. He lived into his 90s and wrote from the island of Patmos. Those of you who studied in the book of Revelation and Bible study fellowship, he, he, he was in his 90s. And that old apostle, he says this in, 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 his, in his epistle. We do not know yet what it shall be like in the resurrected body. The Apostle John said, I can't tell you. But we do know this. When we see him, we will be like him. What will the resurrection be like? You know, Paul deals with it in this passage here. And after he tells us that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I want you to notice then we go to the end of this chapter, this resurrection chapter, and we can't read the entire thing. But I want you to go to verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You know, you go to the grocery store and there's a perishable food section. That is the stuff that has that shelf life. Generally, think in terms of produce that has a pretty short shelf life. And you have to go through it. And if you don't, it has to get thrown out because it's, it's no good. Um, other food, canned foods, everything at some, date, at some point has a poll date on it. It's perishable. But we think especially the produce department. And Paul says here, our life, we are perishable. This body of mine you're looking at right now and yours, it's perishable. It's going to perish. It's not going to last forever. And he says, this body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This body is is not fit for heaven the way it is because of sin, because it will die, because it is imperfect. It is not fit for heaven. And this body of mine is mortal. I have mortality, and this is something that that we as Christians are not afraid to talk about. And you might think, well, that's kind of odd. You talk about Thanksgiving and everything, and you start talking about death and resurrection. But this is the reality. Paul says if this, if this is not the case, then everything else doesn't make any difference. We are mortal. I am mortal. And Paul says here that this body of mine, this body of Paul's, must put on immortality in order for it to be fit for heaven. This body that is going to perish must become non-perishable. A non-perishable good is something that is not going to perish. And I must put on non-perishableness to be fit for heaven. Listen, verse 51. And again, in Pauline fashion, he puts this word here at the beginning of the sentence to grab our attention. Stop! 
Listen to me. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you a mystery, a beautiful, wonderful, lovely mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, Paul says at some point in in time when, when Christ returns, there will be Christians alive. You know, you get the impression here, Paul thinks there are some in his day. Well, that's the way it always is supposed to be. And it will be. Whenever Christ returns, there will be Christians who are alive. So he says, we're not all going to die physically. But we all are going to be changed. We shall be changed. We shall be changed. And the word here is not, uh, not morph, like you get the word of morphology and stuff from, and metamorphosis. It's the word for other. Alas, it's the word other. We will be changed into something other. We will be changed. And here's what's going to happen. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, no longer perishable, non-perishable. And those of us alive, we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When this takes place, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. You know, this, this, it's interesting, this word swallowed up. It comes from Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 8, when, when Isaiah is talking about Israel's future and the world and the future of the world. It's a wonderful passage. And it says this in Isaiah 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death forever. And it's preceded by this. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. The sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this beautiful? Isn't, aren't, you, aren't you blessed this is part of God's word? The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faith. I think of these children that were up here this morning. As Gary's reminded us of the persecuted church, and we see pictures from around the world of, of things going on in our world today. And you think of the, think of the children. Huh? Think of the children. Think of these children. And it's coming a day. There's coming a time where God is going to wipe away all tears. Where death is going to be swallowed up. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is, what, this is, where, this is why I, I chose this passage this morning. I, I was thinking about verses in the Bible that talk about thanks. Verses that talk about thanks. And this verse here, verse 57. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. I'm thankful. I am humbly thankful because if anybody knows I don't deserve it, it's me. I am humbly thankful that God promised to give us the victory 
because Christ Jesus rose from the dead and became the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep, all who will fall asleep, and all of us who are alive, if possible, when, if we're here when Christ returns, that we will all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You know the wonderful thing is about, about the Christian faith? You know, we have a very definitive view of the resurrection. We, our, our, our view is not that we somehow just sort of dissolve into the great something that is nothing, you know. We have a very definitive view of, of resurrection. The Apostle John said, my dear children, it has not yet appeared what it shall be like, but I'll tell you this, when we see him, we shall be like him. When Jesus appeared, it was him. They saw him. They touched him. Jesus said, come, put your hand in my, put your finger in my hand, Thomas. Give me something to eat. He appeared by this. It was him, but it was different. It was him, but it was different. And I'm so thankful that in the resurrection that we have to look forward to, it's going to be us, but it's going to be different. I'm going to be me. You're going to be you. These children are going to be who they are. However old they are, you know, all these questions, well, what age? It doesn't matter. Paul says we're talking about a mystery. But we're also talking about something that is true. And this truth of this matter is, Jesus rose from the dead, became the first fruits. We will be like him. As we come this Thanksgiving season, I am thankful. I am so thankful that the starting place that everything else backs up from, that the starting place is the hope of the resurrection, the definite hope of eternal life and forgiveness for sins and life with God. You know, somehow our, our, our mentality has been so affected by media and so forth and people's image of heaven, this idea of you know sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, and so on, uh, you don't find that in the Bible, okay? The idea of eternity, to think that the God who created the most beautiful things you can think of in this world that we experience now is the God of all creation. And that we have the opportunity to be with him, to serve him, to share with him in his beautiful creation, in heaven, and in life for all eternity. Why? Because Christ rose from the dead. He went to the cross of Calvary. He paid for our sins. He suffered God's punishment. He rose from the dead. Thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I always appreciate in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I read this so oftentimes when we're sharing at services for our loved ones, where the Apostle Paul says that we, what is mortal, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Death has been swallowed up. And on that day of resurrection, we will all, think of it, you and I are going to experience this. It doesn't just happen because it's written on paper. This is an actual event experience. Somehow you and I are going to somehow experience this transforming power of God. The Bible says that raised Jesus from the dead, 
you and I are going to experience this. And we are going to be changed to be with God for all eternity. So I'm thankful as we come to a season of thanks to begin at that point. And all the wonderful and the beautiful and the lovely things that God has blessed us with and gives us and our friends and family and everything else, everything backs up from that point because we have a hope. Now, before we go, I kind of like to finish just in two minutes the story of Joseph. If you turn to Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 13, this, this critical day when 400 years later, 400 years later, four centuries years later, the children of Israel have come to the place where the, the, the ten plagues are over. Egypt's been devastated. Pharaoh's heart has grown hard. But finally, after the sacrifice of the firstborn, the Passover, Pharaoh relents and says, get out of here. Get out of slavery. Get out of here. I don't want to ever see your face again, Moses. And as that, on that day when they crossed the Red Sea, I and mean, all the, the, think of all that is going on. Think of everything that has to happen to get that many people out of Egypt and begin this journey. Moses had the sense about him in the spiritual sense in verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath, he had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry up my bones with you from this place. And they left. And the children of Israel (laughs) took the bones of Joseph. Joseph, who was just below a pharaoh in Egypt. But he said, it's not my home. It's not my home. It's been good here, Egypt. It's not my home. My home is the promised land that God has promised to my family. When you people leave here, take me with you. And 400 years later, Moses, amongst everything else going on, (laughs) gathers up Joseph's remains, packs them up, and takes them to the Red Sea on their way to Canaan. We just finished the book of Joshua in Sunday school this last month. When you come to the very end of the book of Joshua, the very end, the story ends with the death of Joshua. Joshua, who died at 110 years old, the exact same age that Joseph was when he died. And in Joshua chapter 24, the end of the story Verse 31, Israel served the Lord. I mentioned this last week throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. In verse 32, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants and Eliezer dies and the story ends the exodus begins with Joseph's bones going with them and the settlement of God 
fulfilling his promise of victory, bringing him to the promised land, and the culmination of this promise of God and the faith of a man who believed God's word. God told Abraham in Genesis 15, your descendants will go down into a foreign land. They will be there 400 years as servants. I will bring them back. And Joseph believed that. He believed that. And he made them swear an oath. And they brought him back. And they put him home where he belonged because of his faith in God's word. And that's why he's in Hebrews chapter 11. And so as we close this morning, I just want to remind you. I want to remind myself. It's a wonderful thing about preaching. You know, you get to remind yourself before I remind you. Do we really believe God's word? Do you really believe in the resurrection? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that the Lord is coming? And that we are going to be changed and we are going to be with him for all eternity. We are actually going to be us. I'm going to be me and you are going to be you. And we are going to be with the saints from all ages. And that we are going to be with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that we are going to experience that beauty and that love and that holiness and true peace and righteousness. Do you really believe that? Do you really, really, really believe that? Absolutely. Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> Listen, friends. We are a people of faith. As a thankful people, let's give thanks to God today as we have sung, as we have shared, as we've read Scripture. Let's give God thanks for the guarantee, the promise of victory, of salvation, of resurrection, and of sharing in God's beauty and holiness for all eternity. I give God thanks for that this season of thanks. As we close today, you know, the wonderful thing about this, what does this mean to you and me today? What does this mean to you tomorrow at work, in your apartment, in your neighborhood, with your family, with your friends, wherever God takes you? What does this mean to us how does this impact our lives today? But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul closes this resurrection chapter. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrection and the hope of the resurrection that infuses our life with meaning, with joy, and with purpose to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I want to thank you for saving us. I want to thank you for your offer of salvation. And Father, I pray if there be a person here today who has never received Christ as their Savior, they would open their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the good news that you love them, that you love them more than they could ever possibly understand. And it's because of that love that Christ came and died on the cross and paid for their sin. And might that person here today, Father,
If they've never received you, say yes and receive Christ as their Savior. And Father, as we leave this place, we pray with the joy, with the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that it will impact how we walk with you this day and tomorrow and each day this week, that we would reflect the joy and the love, the compassion and the kindness of our Lord and the hope of salvation. In Christ's name we pray.